Welcome to the Think Bold, Be Bold podcast. Chris and Alan will be sharing unique and raw insight on what it takes to succeed. Both hosts are authors and businessmen and have been mentoring and consulting for their clients for over 50 years with their combined knowledge. So without further ado, we have an exciting show for you today. Let's get started. Hi, it's Christopher Cumby with Think Bold, Be Bold and my awesome co-host, Alan Witch. Alan, how are you? I'm doing great today, Chris. How about yourself? How is the weather there in Florida? Well, I'm just going to say warm and uh, there's no snow. Why don't we keep it at that because uh, I know there's a lot of people that are getting inundated, uh, especially in the last week with uh, some horrible weather. Or it depends which way you look at it. Maybe it's some great weather for those skiers or people who are advocates of the, you know, the snow. And, um, you know, I'll let them have that. But it's not for me. <laughs> no, it's not for me either. Not for me either. It's not quite that bad here. We have a little bit of rain and overcast, but it's the Pacific Northwest, you know. And, you know, we get lost on our mountain and we pick mushrooms. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is, and I, I do like that. It is that. what it is. Now, listen, you know, we have a great show ahead, and uh, I just want to sort of preface, you know, what the show is a little bit about. And um, most importantly, it's going to go in a direction that we're going to bring out the genius zone and this gentleman, who is certainly a genius. And, um, Alan, I'm going to give you always the unique pleasure to uh, introduce our guest. But imagine sounding like you, but only better. Imagine sounding like you, but only better. Now, that's what this guy can do for you. See, there are important best practices for success that many presenters aren't even aware of. But the audience can feel the difference when you take the time to make sure they're there. So what are those best practices? I'll tell you, this gentleman's going to be able to tell you today all about it, and he's, you know... Just a, a pleasure to talk to. Really got to know him over the last uh, little while. And, um, you know, he's got uh, so many things to share today. And uh, on that note, why don't we get uh, Alan, why don't you take us away on that? Hey, appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Uh, great, uh, great heads up and great lead in. Yeah, you know, a lot of people do their research uh, through the media. They do their research through talking to a few people. They do their research based on uh, the top 10 or 15 items in the category that they're wanting to talk about. And then some people do their research by hands-on. They do their research by being in the front seat, by uh, participating and uh, by having the successes and having the drawbacks and by putting themselves in chairs that put them in so many different environments that they have the expertise then to apply that to all the other avenues they're in. Imagine if you were able to write a recipe for for the following. Let's say that you are a VP in a company uh, like, let's say, Avon. Let's say that uh, you got some experience doing that. And then let's say that uh, because you have a musical side, you write songs. And let's say that you write songs for some very well-known artists. And let's say because of your wordsmithing, the way you're able to really truly grab the emotion of the words on the page and the emotions in the eyes of the people viewing you, that uh, you're asked to write uh, songs uh, for states. Hmm. 
That'd imagine cool. then, I, I'm just writing a recipe here, just building a pie. Then imagine if from that you had the opportunity, the request from large companies, and specifically the upper, my voice changes for a minute there, I apologize, uh, the upper management of large companies wanting you to bring your mastery to their palate to write speeches that will move not only their demographic, but their client base to exceed and become something more than what they currently are. Now, if you could write, if you could build all that, plus a, a large plethora of other things, you'd have our guest today. Without further ado, Mike Greenlee's in the house. Mike, welcome to Think Bold, Be Bold. Mike is in the house. Gosh, I'm delighted to be here. We're glad to have you here. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic. You've got an amazing, uh, and I know, Chris, I, I jumped right in there. I, okay. uh, we're on video here so I can see each other. We can all see each other. And as Chris leaned towards the microphone, I jumped in there. Um, I, I just want to tell the audience that they're going to get a piece of all that we just mentioned. And uh, Mike is going to tell you not only how he did it, but the benefits that have come from, to all of his clients from having done this large array of uh, experiences and professions. So anyway, with that, I just want to throw that in there, Chris. Go ahead. Oh, I appreciate it. And uh, anytime, that's, uh, that's our job is to, um, again, uh, just you know, take the lead on any, uh, any subject. So jump in anytime, uh, Alan, of course. Now, Mike, you know, you have an interesting career. In fact, I want to hear about, you know, how online journalism in the 80s was all about because, you know, that just is intriguing in itself uh, prior, you know, or just the beginning of cell phone use and, and or any concept of that. A dial up, you know, online, um, you know, just probably, you know, some amazing things that you can share that, you know, maybe some of our audience uh, w weren't even born um, you know, in some cases. Uh, so that would be interesting to start. So I always like to ask, you know, Mike, tell us about where you came from, where you are, and what your vision is, you know, for your future and, 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 and what you're doing for people, uh, at, you know, specifically around helping them. So thank you. I, um, I grew up on a small southern island, Beaufort, South Carolina. They don't speak <laughs> French there, so they, they don't say Beaufort, they say Beaufort. And it had uh, less than 5,000 people, so everybody knew everybody. And I went to Duke University, was an English lit major, but I always knew that I, I was interested at that time in the theater. I thought I wanted to be a playwright, and there's no place else in the world for playwriting than New York City. So I left an island of 5,000 and came to an island of 8 million, <laughs> and it was like going to another planet. Uh, but I got into corporate life and was at uh, a very idealistic publishing company, Scholastic. On your birthday there, you'd get a box of candy from the chairman and a personal note. And as the company grew, they're the, they're the largest uh, educational publisher now, he sent out a, an apology that he could no longer send us Critchley's candy with a personal note. So it was very warm and human. And, however, I, uh, I wanted to make money. And you don't make much money in book publishing. So I started going to school at night to get my master's in marketing and international marketing and eventually went to Lever Brothers where it was the opposite kind of culture. If you know Star Trek, it was like the Klingons, very militaristic. 
and it had to be because one detergent is like another detergent. And if you're competing against Procter and Gamble and Colgate, you've got to have the sharpest marketing, the sharpest communications. But it was not a very humanistic company, and who I am is very, very sincere. And I found myself having to fit a kind of an artificial mold that just didn't feel right. So eventually I went to Avon Products because a friend had left Lever. And Avon, again, is a very people-oriented company. And I did very well there. I became the youngest VP in their history and f focused on uh, marketing and communication. So I was at one point developing 300 new products a year, every aspect of it. It's, I love marketing because it combines both sides of the brain. It's, it's creative on the one hand, but you have to be very strategic and intellectual about how you're positioning a product. And communications, all the field communications, which were motivational. But I read a book, a um, very important book to me, called uh, The Third Wave by Alvin Toffler, a very famous mm -hmm. futurist. And I, it's not a great read, but it was very important. And I read it on a vacation where there was nothing else to do. And it, it really changed my life. So I came back. He was really saying that the, really quickly, the, his observation is there have only been three main waves of human history, agrarian, industrial, and now the information age. And we were just at the beginning of the information age. So I came back from the vacation, fired up. I put a copy of the book on the president's chair, and so he'd either have to read it or sit on it. He had no choice. And I said, we've got to get into computers because this is the future. And, I, and they said, fine, in your spare time, help us. So they bought me an Apple computer. I'd never had a computer before. And I started to go online in very early days. And I realized that there are a lot of people out there. This was, this was new to have people be able to communicate with each other. There were a lot of people out there with various skills, but they didn't all have what I had been trained for, which was marketing. And that was part of what gave me the courage to do the bravest thing I'd ever done as an adult and leave corporate life and become at that time a marketing consultant. And as a result of that and the people that I networked with, I realized this was before blogs or it was called computer conferencing. So I developed a bunch of readers because I do, I was meant to be a writer, it turns out. So I would write things and people would write me back, tell us more about that. And, um, so I went to Comdex, a big computer show. Somebody from Japan or Italy said, please go back to the IBM booth and ask them this. And then before I knew it, I was, because I'm a, I was driven to be as a Southern gentleman, kind of a people pleaser. And if a, if a reader wanted me to follow up on something, I wanted to do it, especially because I love the feedback afterward, the positive feedback. So that's how I ended up writing a book about AIDS, becoming a journalist. I was there on the third row when Steve Jobs launched Macintosh in my little three-line LCD Radio Shack computer, and I could tell them that would change my life, and just started becoming a journalist part-time as I was also being a marketing consultant and speechwriter. So I, it turns out, I had to explain it to people back then, I'm the first journalist in history to cover the Democratic and Republican conventions via computer, but at the time, trying to get, you have to be credentialed, you know, as a member of the press, and just even explaining to them that people could talk to each other on computers. This was new for them. And f eventually we persuaded them, and I got, the, I got the ability to do that. I'm the first journalist to cover the Academy Awards via computer. And I remember asking 
Steven Spielberg when he came backstage in the press room. Is there going to be a sequel to E.T.? I mean, and people were asking me questions. It was thrilling, really, to be able to send out a report, go to sleep, wake up the next morning, and there's applause and questions from Italy, Japan, San Francisco, wherever. And that's, that's how I became a journalist and realized more and more that my particular gift, I'm somebody, as I often say, who can barely change a light bulb, but at least I've got words, and that's what I do. So now I write Having, I think I'll live longer having left corporate life, uh, but I know what it's like to be on the executive side of the desk, and I get satisfaction by helping them be more successful by taking their ideas and then making them more effective. First, how the words sound, and then how to deliver the speech. That's fantastic. So you're hired, for one, and uh, I can't yeah. wait to start working with you, because um, <laughs> God knows I could use that, and... Um, you know, we joked about that before, Mike, and, you know, what kind of speaker I am, and, and you asked some great questions. So I'm sure we're going to be doing some stuff in the future because uh, we certainly have a bright one. Uh, that being said, thank you for sharing that. That was uh, definitely intriguing and being the first at doing something. How, you know, how does that feel? I, I mean, looking at the day and age now, and I know we uh, joke about Skype and, and what we're doing today with you specifically, and uh, had some fun around that because technology, like you said, uh, is not your forte, but yet you started off using technology to go out there and you know, really be the first to do things that no one else was doing. And, and, and wow, the Academy Awards, that's just, um, you know, that's, that's pretty extraordinary and, and very much, um, you know, creates this history behind you. And, and uh, I find that fascinating. So very cool. Um, and I think there was a question in there, but I probably talked too much, uh, you know, from that perspective. But uh, anyway, Alan, why don't we, uh, we, had a, we had an awkward pause, right? And um, anyway, Alan, uh, I know you're itching to you know, get right into a couple of things and uh, I see you writing away here. So take her away. Yeah, I like awkward pauses. I think they're, uh, I think they're really they're they're fun to talk about. I, you know, it is what it is. Hey, it is what it is. <laughs> not not no worries there at all, Mike. I mean, I mean, listening to what you've talked about, how does it aside from the the results and and the business end and the personal end, how does it feel to have like what Chris talked about been in? a position where you are the bellwether for so many different things. What does that feel like? Because I think there's a lot of our listeners out there that have never been in the, that position of bringing on something new or experiencing something new for the first time for a general group of people or for their particular audience or for their company or, or so on and so forth. Yet you've experienced it numerous times. Now, with that said, one, how did you do that? And two, what did it feel like to go through those, those new beginnings? Well, one thing that I think is fair and accurate to say is that it, what today we would call the power of networking. It wasn't even necessarily called that in the early days. But, for example, back then, if you wanted to connect and be online, you had to have electrical prongs that would fit you unscrew the phone put your clips on there so that it could then dial into your computer it was really awkward what the what <laughs> <laughs> exactly and so i, I fortunately because one of, ringy dingy 
<laughs> because of of the the whole thing about um, the power of communications on the internet back then. There was a there was a company called the Source. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. it uh, uh, I'm trying to remember some names of some others, but the Source was the one that I used. And back then, the companies thought that the best way to make money for their services was through providing stock quotes and sports scores. And what they were surprised by was what the users actually showed them was that there was much more revenue to be had by helping people connect with each other and letting them generate the content, not just the, uh, here's, your, here's your stock quote. And that started to grow in what was called computer conferencing. And so I would, I'm used to meeting people starting from way back in the 80s online that I've never yet met in person. And yet you, you feel very close to somebody because you're opening up and, and it's a safe space. And back then, um, you would call them today chat rooms, I suppose. <clears throat> there, were, there were conferences that would be on particular subjects. So if you were interested in sports, you would sign up there. If you were interested in politics, you'd sign up there. And you'd be talking to people around the world who shared your interest and who were supportive. So when the time came that I realized I had a following and I wanted to do something, I already had a couple of very important friends who were still important to me, one of whom knew much more about technology. His name is Sherwin Levinson. And he showed me how to take the alligator clips and and when you would hear the modem, it would make a sound at first when it connected. And so really, I think the first thing is to say is that I didn't just do this by myself. It was through the power of people networking, which is very much what we're doing now and what the, the change books do that I've contributed to. And it, it's what you see all the time on Facebook and special interest groups. And all these groups are, are about ways of, that's what's marvelous about the Internet, I think, is bringing people together who would never meet in person, whose lives would never interact, and yet they discover their commonality. And so it's because of the help of other people that I was able to do that. That's the first thing. And then the second thing to say in terms of your question, how does it feel? My parents wanted me to be traditional and to grow up and have kids and pass on the name Greenlee, my father's name. And it turns out to their disappointment at first, I happened to be gay. And and although today it's possible to have kids as a gay man, it wasn't then. And also, I, I think it would be a, just a, a terrible parent. Um, so... Uh, the the point is, I always felt like, gee, what's gonna, what's gonna let my name for the sake of my father, be able to last? So I'm proud now that I'm gonna be a little asterisk in history books for these firsts and also for writing the official anthem of Virginia. So I feel like wherever he is, in my my background is is uh, Jewish, and so there's a word in Yiddish called nachas, and that's. If your grandmother is watching you give your bar mitzvah speech, she's feeling nachas. So I feel like dad is feeling it that, okay, Greenlee will be in a history book someplace. That's beautiful. A nice tribute. Yeah, thank That's you. awesome. Yeah, thank you. So Mike Greenlee's on the cutting edge. Tell me about that Radio Shack computer yeah. for a second. <laughs> because I haven't even heard about a Radio Shack computer. I mean, come on. <laughs> I remote control little airplanes and helicopters and some batteries, yes, but a computer? I felt so cool to have one. It was very heavy, and it had a three-line LCD screen, so you couldn't see it. It wasn't backlit in a, in a very effective way. And um, 
you, you, if, as a journalist, you'd have to bring your clips with you, and as soon as you finished hearing Steve Jobs, you know, you quickly go to a payphone and find a way to clip on. In my case, though, because I, I care about my words, I would go back to the hotel, and, and I would even start writing um, on the bus, let's say, back to the hotel. But there, I, I will always remember it, to, to be part of just to observing history, to be on the third row when Steve Jobs launched Macintosh, I'll never forget it. And I was typing into my computer as best I could because I knew I'd use these notes later for the report. Um, all I can say is, now I was on the cover of a magazine that Radio Shack used to do a magazine called Portable 100 because that was the name of the computer. And it was a magazine, a regular print magazine for people back then. And to look at myself now on the cover of that magazine and see myself holding this clunky piece of apparatus... It's just, it's an astonishing reminder of, of what Toffler said when he wrote the book Future Shock, of how much faster the velocity of change is. And one of my comforts is, as much as the world, and it's absolutely a fact that the velocity of change is much faster than it used to be for generations before us, but one of the comforts is that we have each other during a time of change, that you can form relationships with anybody anywhere in the world now, and that helps to stabilize you in a changing world, in my opinion. Fantastic. And um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, it's just a fascinating point you brought up. And um, I was more interested on, you know, the side of, you know, what it looked like. And uh, I'm going to dig out some pictures now because that, uh, that, that was just something I haven't heard before. So thank you. Um, listen, I know there's uh, a human element to you and... You know, you're a people pleaser, as you mentioned, uh, you know, and I live in the South, so I understand, um, you know, the ability uh, for people to just be, you know, very polite and, and uh, always thinking of others and uh, certainly, uh, Mike, getting to know you, um, you're that way and, and you are a giver and, and we really appreciate that and I think people, you know, in general appreciate that from you. You know, you talk about the power of communication and, and today, you know, user content or back then... Uh, was something that was just getting started. But if you look at social media today, I mean, big companies, actually billion-dollar companies, are generated from, you know, social content or, or other people's content, which is, you know, absolutely amazing. It has changed the landscape of marketing and advertising and, you know, everything. Um, and really what we like to call, you know, disruption, right? Industries are getting disrupted by you know technology as it advances and so forth but i want to go back to a question that i have because you wrote a you wrote a book and i you know it it, it needs to be heard because i think that it's still relatable but most importantly that it you know it it, it really shows and highlights uh the man we know looking across uh, the computer here and and most importantly why it was important at the time but also, you know, again, you know, that human element that, that is so important that, you know, back when you wrote it and what that generation was going through, um, I think it's important to articulate today. So can you, can you share with the audience that book and, and what was going on? Uh, because I, I think it's definitely important uh, because I really want to highlight, uh, again, who you are because, you know, you're an awesome individual and uh, you are a giver and you are sharing and uh, you have a lot of things to uh, to help people with. So uh, on that note, take us away, Mike. Uh, I'd love to hear about it. Okay, so the book was about AIDS, but we didn't even have a word for that then. Um, this was back in the 80s, and people started to notice 
it, it, it seemed like at first, quote, unquote, a gay disease, but it turns out it was more than that. It's sexually transmitted, of course, AIDS, or by blood through, you know, through uh, if, if an addict shares a needle. But it would had very distinctive symptoms. Um, Carposi's sarcoma was a kind of a cancerous discoloration on people's skin, and it was it would sap your immune system and you would become powerless and then die. And I didn't know anything about the disease at all. I was just in my doctor's office uh, just for a regular checkup. And he's somebody I had known for some years, and I noticed that he looked terrible. And I was on a first-name basis with him even then, and I said, Ron, wait a minute, because he already told me I was in good health. But I said, what's happening with you? You look awful. And he sighed, and he told me, well, there's this new disease. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Ultimately, I lost some friends to it. Um, it was called CETA at first, which was based on a French acronym. He, but they didn't even know what it was, immune deficiency something. They just knew that these people who were getting it were completely wiped out and that their bodies no longer had the ability, which our immune systems do, to fight off disease. And he said it was wearing him down because the stories were so tragic and dispiriting and because as a doctor with a conscience, he wanted to do something for these people, but they didn't know what to do. They were still figuring out what it was. And there were a lot of myths about it then, including that you don't want to be in the room with a person who has AIDS. Maybe you'll be breathing the air that that person has. Mm -hmm. So to compound the problems of people who were suffering this really life-killing disease, they were isolated because people didn't want to be near them. People didn't want to touch them, not even shake their hand. And he said, because by that time I had a following on the source was the name of the service back then, so I had readers following me, and he said, I know you've got, you do some writing on the side, um, maybe you could help to tell the truth about this disease, because he said that at that moment, the publications like the New York Times were just very analytical and scientific, and nobody got a sense of the humanity and the suffering. On the other hand, there was the, the New York Post, which was a very much of a a, a rag at that time and it would just it was feeding the fear don't even be in a room near somebody who's got AIDS and he said I wish somebody would tell the truth so I said look I I've got some readers I'll do it and he said that would be wonderful so I I wrote up and I interviewed him I tape recorded him I went back and I wrote it up and I put it online as as a chronicle of what what I was learning about and the thing about online, even back then, is if you write something, you get responses from people. And uh, yes, being uh, being brought up to be a pleaser, but also just a southern gentleman, um, if somebody wanted me to do something, tell me more, Mike, you know, about something, I would try to oblige them. So before I knew it, people were giving me names of people to to talk to. I remember just as part of the diseases, it was beginning to be known that it was sexually transmitted. I went to a prostitute in, in Times Square. She made me get naked because uh, I told her, I just want to interview you and I'll pay you. She said, I need to know that you're not a cop. So take off your clothes. Then you can turn on your tape recorder. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> as a gay man, it was kind of wasted on me. But at the same time, I got a great interview. So there's an interview in the book about, with this prostitute telling me about what was it like for her having sex with these people and not knowing because it was beginning to be known that it was a sexually transmitted disease. I happened to speak French 
So on my own dime, I flew to Paris because l'Institut Pasteur was evidently doing some research about this. So I interviewed them there. I went to San Francisco to go to a hospice because San Francisco has a lot of gay community. And again, it, it became known that it was also, it wasn't limited to gays, but they were leaders in giving care. And one of the things I learned that I wrote about was when somebody is, because these people were doomed, when somebody is doomed to dying, one of the most important gifts you can give them is just to listen and let them express themselves. So each one was a chapter. I, I deliberately went to Iowa and interviewed a very far right wing uh, preacher at the time who thought that the disease was God's punishment of people. And I tried, did my best, to, in fairness, to quote his voice. So it's a lot of different interviews. And it ultimately, back then, it was a big deal to get a book published. Um, it was before real desktop publishing. And so I, I, I approached publishers because I, I did have some fame in that world. And I approached publishers, but they weren't interested in publishing a book about a disease. They just said it's not going to make money. So I finally found a small educational publisher who would do it, but he said it would take him a year to to print it because they were had no resources. By that time, there was something called PageMaker and I on Macintosh, and mm -hmm. so I typeset every word of the book myself. The problem is why it's embarrassing is this was before there were spell checkers built into word processing. So even though I was like a junior high school spelling champ, my book is riddled with typos. So whenever I give a copy to somebody, I'll always say, please look past the typos and just get to the, to the humanity of it. So the book was published. It was called Chronicle, the Human Side of AIDS. The Futurist magazine wrote about it. And Roche Pharmaceuticals, who was working on what they hoped would be a cure, purchased 6,000 copies and distributed them to infectious disease specialists and oncologists around the country to kind of demystify it and let them know it's okay to give this dying man a hug. You know, it's you're not going to catch it. So I'm I'm glad to have made a contribution in that way. I, so thanks for sharing that, uh, Mike. Thank you. I just want to say that um, on a on a more solemn and a humble note, I honor you, and I know that Chris does too. Uh, for for that work, <clears throat> and and I and I know you, I know you well enough to know that uh, how humble you are. But but please know that. Uh, you know, we don't speak for our listeners, but we sure, um, I, get, I, th I think today I am. And that's a, a, a very honorable thing that you've done you. and that you did and that you continue to do. And I know that we joke a lot, and I'm going to joke here in a minute. So we are going to have some some additional levity. Um, and, and I see him, he's, he's, his cheeks are getting, are getting nice and plump now, waiting for what is this guy possibly <laughs> going to say. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I do want to go back to... Um, uh, something that you mentioned. Oh, before I do that, here comes the funny part. You know, we talk a lot about being transparent, right? Chris and I do, and uh, and obviously we're being pretty transparent now. And I even use the the whole adage. You know, this is about you know dropping your pants, and this is about being authentic and real. Mike but hey, Mike, you that. really did it. I mean, I I'm so I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I have to live up to that. I don't know that my wife would is she no she's not in the room. Um, I I'd have a hard time selling that one. Um, any, anyway, that, I think that's uh, I, I think that's funny. Um, I want to go back to you talking about something of velocity of change and um, with the AIDS isolation. And I don't want this whole show to be about that because you've done some amazing other things too. But in, in following the, the velocity of change, have you seen a change in societal 
um, acceptance and growth past and a way to um, kind of implement a a lifestyle so that it is uh, accepted in the last 10, 15 years? Have you seen that growth to the positive? Yes, and I think... um I think the online world has something to do with that, actually. First, an observation before I forget to say it. One of the societal changes that I've seen as just as a speechwriter or writing video scripts for corporations is how our attention spans are shorter. So it used to be people would say, this is before really the Internet took as much hold, that just MTV, they used to do videos, music videos, and it was said back then that MTV was changing people's attention spans. That was before you could get instant anything on the internet. So the reason why that's relevant to my business is that in writing a speech for somebody, you've got to be able to capture an audience's attention right away. There's an acronym that I find very useful. It's called WIFM, W-I-F-M, what's in it for me? And listen, having had all my marketing experience with developing products, when you're developing a product, or even a speech or one's own personal brand, it you're not going to succeed if you just focus on yourself. You've got to be directed to what does the other person or market need, and then your job, if you want to be successful, is how can I best supply that need? So I just needed to make that point about attention spans being an example of societal change. But the other thing about the Internet, and even back then, um, is that it became a safe space for people to share these testimonies that people would share online with each other were very intimate and they they were saying things that they would never say have the courage have had the courage to say face to face and so people opened themselves up more and this because they were in the safety of their own room in their pajamas or whatever it was and just the idea of people being able to exchange the truth of who they are demystifies people's conceptions about gay people about women about blacks about hispanics about everybody. I'm writing a song right now called Common Ground, and it's something I've come to believe in very much, that as different as we all are, and as much as it's part of my deep value to respect other people's differences, part of what gives me hope for the future is our ability to find common ground with each other, surpassing those differences. And I think the internet enables that, and that wasn't true when I was born, and it's gotten faster and stronger. So that's something that actually gives me hope. The hope for better understanding because of how much easier it is to share now, not just in words, but in pictures, in video, the truth of our lives and to discover our commonalities. Thank I'm you. not hearing you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have technical difficulties. All good, Give me Mike. some great insight. Yeah. yeah, I just turned off my microphone just for a minute there. I was uh, moving my coffee mug and uh, it was quite loud. We have great mics. They pick up everything. Um, we have a great mic on screen, and we have a great mic hanging above my head. So there we go. Um, I, I, fantastic content, Mike. Um, what you've been able to do over your professional span is is quite outstanding, I think probably quite unique to a lot of people, which I think puts you in a unique position to be really excellent at what you do best, and that's your speech writing. Say I am 
a, uh, a client of yours or a potential client of yours, and I'm going to be in front of you know, 10, 15,000 people, and I've done it on a regular basis, but I want to enhance my game. I want to pick it up a little bit. I want to be better. I want to be known more as an expert. I want to be people to follow me, not just because of my content, but because of my delivery. What's some pointers that you could give them and some reasons why people would want to work with you because of your expertise in this category? What would you what would you give to that person or say to that person? Well, part of what I've learned comes from the fact that I used to be a scared little mouse and I was terrified to walk across a stage. Back in maybe it was junior high school or high school, these were when the days of 45 record 45 single records and I was the geek who was going to change the records you had to manually change them so that my friends could keep dancing every time I walked across the stage I, I was so nervous I back then it was not self-winding watches so I would wind my watch at a certain point you can't wind it anymore but I would still be doing it so that I felt like I had it appeared that I was doing something you know just walking <laughs> over to the record player so I've experienced enormous transformation from being that scared to be on stage to now being comfortable delivering a speech to 5,000 people. And when I am writing a speech for somebody, the whole point is to, as I say on my, uh, my Google ads, sound like yourself, only better. And so I capture their message. It's not going to work if they sound like me. They have to sound like them. But my job as a writer is to make them sound like their best selves. But the same thing is true with delivery. You've got to be able to convey it's the words the audience is not going to be reading it they're going to be experiencing it so in terms of what to advise people when I have coached people in person I always tell them my own story and longer detail than I can do here and then they realize because what's been surprising to me is the number of you would never guess the number of very high-powered dynamic seeming very intimidating people who confess privately that they're scared to death to be on stage so by just sharing what's possible and encouraging them there are lots of techniques I mean one of them is just to be aware of the context you speak differently if you're speaking to an audience you should speak differently if you're speaking to an audience of 50 people versus 500 people but that's certainly different than if you're sitting next to somebody you've got to be bigger and yet still be the paradox is you've got to be authentic on the one hand and bigger than life on the other and there are a, a number of tips like moving on stage. If you don't move correctly, people are going to be distracted and they'll consider you nervous as opposed to using your body to make a point. One thing I will I'll share that's why it's meaningful for me, a woman at ExxonMobil contacted me, found me on the Internet, said her boss told her she gave terrible presentations. Could I help her? I had never met her, but I helped her on the phone with her PowerPoints. The number one mistake clients make is they put too much information on the screen at once. They, uh, you're, it's a mistake if you have people reading along with you as opposed to letting you be the source of knowledge and the PowerPoint is a support. Is a support. I also helped her just by phone on projecting herself. So anyway, she gave, she followed her boss's feedback. She reached out to me. She gave evidently the best presentation she'd ever given. She got promoted and she then credited me for it and had me come to Houston for ExxonMobil to give a a workshop on this where I worked with everybody individually and taught a class but the thing that was meaningful to me was as a result of her a woman in Nigeria I was referred to a woman in Nigeria a woman in her 40s I'll never meet this woman 
But just by working with her on the phone about her message and her delivery, this really touched me. She thanked me afterward because for the first time in her life, at the age of 40-something, she actually heard applause for her own speech. She had been so afraid before. It just, you know, I don't have many gifts, but it, it pleases me that the gift I do have can enhance other people's lives. So that's, that's for me, one, it'll always be one of the most meaningful examples. Perfect. And there is the genius zone, my friend. There mm -hmm. is the genius zone. So thanks for that, Mike. Um, really appreciate that. And, and uh, you know, we can talk for a long time. Uh, in fact, probably hours about things. But, um, you know, we have a limited time with, uh, with the show. And uh, just keeping things on point, I, I want to move on to, uh, you know, just another uh, question. But before I do that, you know, how do people work with you, Mike? Uh, how do they contact you? Um, you know, etc. You know, social media. You know, your website. Maybe you can just you know let everybody know where they can find you and uh, how they can work with you. So all my life, I've learned how to spell my name so people get it right because uh, it's Mike Greenley, and people often want to add it L E Y, but it's Mike the color green and then L Y. So the best way is to go to my website, mikegreenley.com, and you can reach me then by email or by phone. And I would say more than half of the people I've worked with, I've never met in person. They could be from anywhere. Um, and coaching, that includes coaching, but certainly speech writing. I always record the speeches. Nobody ever hears them. But that's part of how I make it, the speech sound like that person, authentically them, only better. That's my part is to make them be better. And also when I, when I am speaking to a, somebody about their speech, I'll listen in stereo one ear is for them. What do they want to convey? The other is being on, listening on behalf of the audience. That causes me sometimes to bring things out. So really, my website is the best way, and and just take it from there. Just reach out to me. Fantastic. And um, you heard it, Mike Greenlee with an L-Y dot com. Uh, now, listen, just moving on uh, because we've got a couple more questions for you. Every act begins with a thought. You know, when you look back on your journey, what one thought, emotion, aha, you know, probably an aha moment to find your decision to become an entrepreneur? Well, the first aha that comes to my mind was when I had to give a speech following, I was in charge of the meetings by then, so you're motivating district managers, 2,500 of them, to make them know that they can motivate their representatives. And I was dealing with a guy who was a competitor, he was really supposed to be a peer, but his personality made him a competitor to all the other vice presidents. And he was a big, booming guy, and I knew that that was not me. The aha came when I realized that I would be making a mistake, a big one, if I tried to be him, because I'd be a terrible him. And instead, I shared the story as me, that I, the motivational story I had, and people told me afterward it was the best speech they'd ever heard. It surprised me. But I know now that the reason why it was so effective is because I meant every word of it, and I had learned by then how to project that meaning. So that gave me a lot of courage in myself, that plus the Toffler book that I mentioned to you, because that made me realize there's a whole big emerging world out there, and, and another book, Passages, about the changes we go through in life, made me realize this was the time I had to be brave enough to leave corporate life or else decide to stay. So those two things, that aha moment, delivering a speech as myself and finding it was the best way, and then this book that made me realize it was time to change. People go through phases, 
and there was a big electronic world out there. Fantastic. And uh, I think we all have those moments in our, in our lives where something speaks to us, and it sounds like uh, that was yours. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Mike. Appreciate that. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Mike, as, you, as you've grown and uh, developed in uh, not only as a professional, but as a, a really good listener, um, in order to be able to be a really good speechwriter for yourself and for others, you really have to be able to listen well, as you've uh, attested to there. Um, who in your life, um, if you had to pick one person who was the biggest influence on you as an entrepreneur, who would that be? As an entrepreneur? Um, well, actually, I guess it would be she's the biggest influence on my life in a lot of ways. It would be my mother. She and I were both firstborns. We had a contentious relationship sometimes, um, and she talk about me being a southern gentleman. She was the southern flower, and uh, once when I was in psychotherapy, the best thing I ever did for myself, my parents came up from South Carolina, and my therapist said after talking to my mother was like talking to a cloud because she was like all over the place. But <laughs> all that said, she was determined, she was incredibly thorough about doing things right, and that made me... I just inculcated it, whether we bickered or not. I realized and then learned through corporate feedback, if you're going to do something, you've got to do it all the way. And that's what sets you apart. And so whatever I do, I now, I'll turn down work unless I think I can do an excellent job of it. So it's a commitment, a, a personal commitment to excellence. And I think I got that from her. Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, Mom, if you're listening, and I know that somewhere you are, you got a great uh, you got a great son here. He's done a great job, and he continues to be an influencer. So uh, we're uh, we're we're proud to be able to say that and to have you on the show, Mike. Absolutely, and um, you know, uh, again, uh, giving you an opportunity to, uh, to give you know that homage uh, to your mom uh, is great. And you know, I've got another question. Uh, I know we're coming near to the end, but we do have some time, and um, you know, want to make sure we extract as much as we can. You know. Uh, I know you believe in mentors, you believe in coaching, um, you obviously do coach. Uh, who in your life uh, you know, would you recognize as being a mentor to you that really you know, helped you in a lot of ways? Because I know we all have maybe many, but someone who, who you know, stands out, let's say. Uh, this is easy. He was the president of Avon and I was the vice president at that time. And... I was in charge of, among other things, all the communications. And he said to me, because the whole thing about Avon is it's very motivational. And he said to me, if you want an audience to feel proud, you don't make them feel proud by telling them, okay, you better feel proud now, feel proud. You have to instead know them well enough. That's the whiffum idea, what's in it for me. Know them well enough that you can provide the things that will make them feel proud, not because you told them to, but because you connected well enough that they would feel it. And so for me, that's, boy, it's, that makes a big difference when I write a speech for somebody, every single, or a video script. It's keeping the audience in mind. That's the number one rule of brand marketing anyway. And giving the thing that you that is, will connect with them that will, let's face it, if you're marketing, you want to achieve a result, but you can't achieve it unless you're really sensitive to the audience, and then providing the right key to unlock those feelings. 
Super. I think you mentioned something that's extremely key, keeping the audience in mind. And that comes back to really understanding, picking a demographic, picking a market, and then how can you best serve that market? And that's one of the biggest questions we get uh, from clients a lot is, you know, how do I pick a market? What do I really do? Well, the biggest thing is to find the people that you want to serve for whatever reason. Know them. Research them. Who are they? Put yourself in their shoes. Speak to them as if you're in the audience listening to yourself. How can you best serve so thank you for saying that, and I, I, I love that. That's a, a big <clears throat> moment to be able to uh, to be able to hear that is the keep the audience in mind. So thanks, Mike. That's a, a great piece of advice. Absolutely, definitely. And um, you know, again, this uh, show is designed, Mike. You know, for a training ground, and you're giving. Mm-hmm. You know, as short as the show is, we're giving some good you know tips on you know, what they can do better in their lives as the audience is listening. And I'm certainly taking my notes so that I'm constantly reminded uh, to do those things as well. So that was a big, big, um, you know, tip if, uh, you know, for everybody listening, including, you know, myself. And I know, Alan, you, you, you know, you, you pointed it out, so obviously it hit you. Mm-hmm. Um, appreciate that, Mike, uh, definitely. Uh, we're coming to the end of the show. However, we still have some time. Uh, sorry, Alan. You want to you want to say something? Yeah, I just I just wanted to say, and I, and I I think this is all going to be this is all going to be great. We do a lot of cooperation, Mike, with a lot of our guests. Not everybody, but with a lot of them. And I think that the guests could use really use some um, some bolstering in this category because what you're talking about speech writing is is actually presentation in its glorious form no matter what it is that you're going to do would you be willing to do uh maybe a webinar with us that we can give some some education pieces to to uh, our audience and this expanded audience um about how to in fact write that speech or present in a, in a small scale or a large scale something that we can that we can give the audience and maybe have something down there then that we could uh you know together as a team market and uh um, you know, even um, you know, offer uh, different levels of opportunity for some of the uh, guests as they go on, and give them an opportunity to to work with you specifically too. Would you be willing to do that? The short answer is yes, because honestly, maybe I've said this. My friends call me the most earnest person on the Eastern Seaboard, and I'm sl- <laughs> I'm slightly offended. Why are they limiting my geography to the Eastern Seaboard? <laughs> But I've become somebody. I wasn't this way, but I've become somebody known now for saying what he means and means meaning what he says. And what I've picked up about both of you is you're both terrific gentlemen, and it would be a pleasure. I think I'd be a dunce not to say yes. So whatever, yes. Fantastic. Super. And, uh, Super. Th- thanks, Mike, for that. Um, Alan, let's uh, let's bring uh, Mike into something that we uh, like to leave the audience with. Okay. Uh, then you know, Mike. Um, you know, we'll say our uh, goodbyes for now. We definitely want Mike back on the show, and Absolutely. you heard it. We're going to do uh, something extraordinary where Mike can actually teach everybody some tips, uh, and then expand. If you want to work with Mike afterwards, obviously there's lots of opportunity to do that. But uh, let's let's uh, let's take it away, um, Alan. Fantastic. Uh, Mike, we've got, you know, part of our, our, our whole title of our, our company here and our movement is Think Bold, Be Bold. And what we like to do, not that what we're not talking about today isn't bold, because I think there's a lot of bold content today. And thank you for being transparent and dropping your pants uh, in that way as, we, <laughs> as we've done that. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. But talking about the one bold move, um, 
we would like you to, if you could leave, and you will be leaving the audience here with something, what one bold move could you leave them with that could make them better starting today at what they do had they not heard you? What would your one bold move be? Well, um, you know, I wrote this chapter for the Change series of books, and the title of the book is The Power of Authenticity. And it's very scary for people to present themselves. And the the boldest thing I think somebody could do is to dare to drop the pretense and really be yourself. If you are, of course you, you need to practice. Uh, the, the rehearsal is... The power of rehearsal is underestimated, but it always has to be the right kind of rehearsal, making it as real as possible. But the whole idea, if you want to make a real connection and influence people, you've got to dare to be real yourself. And that can be really scary for people, especially on stage. But I would say, go for it. Really, that's It's worked for me and it's worked for every client I've ever coached to be as real as possible while keeping a focus on what is my agenda? What do I want to convey? Being in touch with the passion I feel and letting them feel it. Not by pretending to be somebody else, but by really being authentic. Super. Well, you heard it right here. Be yourself. Be authentic. Because it really does pay off in spades. Hey, isn't this unique and raw insight on what it takes to succeed? That was fantastic, Mike. And thank you so much, first of all, from the bottom of my heart for being here really appreciate it. I know the audience appreciates it. You're doing the world a great service and obviously great service to your clients. And we look forward to spending a lot of time with you uh, over the next uh, you know, several years, years to come. And I, and I can see so many great things uh, developing. Uh, so thank you very much, Mike. My pleasure. Thank you. Alan, you rock, my friend. <laughs> take us away and I'll, uh, I'll give my final goodbye. Okay. Appreciate it. Um, just on behalf of the audience, and I know that on behalf of both Chris and I and the, and the Think Bold, Be Bold change movement, we sure appreciate uh, your transparency, Mike. I know we joked a lot today, but uh, I think that uh, the more, like you said, the more authentic and the more real we can be, then the more raw the material, the more easily digestible it is. And I think the more it's accepted by the audience. So thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you for sharing such a wide variety of experiences in your life and what they've meant to you and the impact they've had, not only on your family, but on the, the circle of influence around you. And again, thank you for being on our show. Chris, as usual, fantastic uh, to co-host with you, my friend. This has been a gas. Uh, we're going to continue to do this. I know we're going to have Mike back on the show. He's smiling right now. I can see it right there. I love. I don't know what we're going to do in the future here, but something great's coming. So everybody, stay tuned. Uh, watch Twitter and and watch our Facebook posts and watch our site uh, to see what's coming. And we'll make sure we uh, post that up there for you. So with that said, Chris, roll us out. Well, thank you, and you heard it. Just be yourself, folks, and uh, we certainly are, and we're having a lot of fun. And thanks, Mike, for being yourself today. It was a lot of fun. And it wouldn't be a show without me saying, do something nice for someone today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.